You're listening to The Keys 107, opening the doors to endless possibilities in the pursuit of love, peace, and happiness with your host, Rafika and Brother James. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Keys 107. We delve into different ways to open doors to endless possibilities in the pursuit of love, peace, and happiness. I am your host, Rafika. My co-host, Brother James, is here. Okay, well, Brother James might need to get his technology together. So we're going to delve into the education key tonight. And we have a very special guest, Dr. Denise Lowe, who has got some very interesting tips to share with us about educational leadership. I think my co-host has joined us. Yes, I have, Rafika. Uh, Greetings to the Keys 107 uh, Networks. All our listings out there, this is an important key with dealing with education and one definition of educate is to give intellectual, moral, and social instruction to someone, typically in a school, but it don't have to be in the school. It could be at your home. But tonight, we're going to find out how do we um, lead educators to this particular understanding. So continue to tune in and take some notes and call in, ask a question or two, and uh, let us enjoy what we're going to hear tonight from our very special guest. Okay, now before we uh, bring Dr. Lowe in, we're going to jump to the healthy tip of the day. We just want to remind all of our listeners to get your pen and paper because class is in session. Call in 213-943-3618, 213-943-3618. Medea Allen, our organic soul chef, our organic, organic soul chef has a special message. Hold tight. The Keys 107 and com present the healthy tip of the day. The healthy tip of the day is to live in the present moment. Oftentimes, people hang out in two miserable places. They're either stuck in the past, reliving some glorious or disastrous moment, or they're stuck in the future, feeling anxious or overwhelmed about what they think will happen. One trick I like to use to live in the present moment is to feel the breath on my upper lip of each inhale and exhale. Focusing your attention on your breath, moment to moment, assists you with quieting your mind, letting go of obsessive thoughts about the past or the future, and allows you to more fully experience the amazing life that's unfolding for you right now. Today's healthy tip of the day has been brought to you by Organic Soul Chef Medea Allen. For more wholesome living and eating tips, visit OrganicSoulChef.com. And as you know, we are working diligently on celebrating women who are doing it big. And we have a big event coming up January 14th and 15th at the Holiday Inn in Manhattan with Notori Norton, who is the co-star of that hit TV show, Power. And she has a special message that we're just going to take a quick moment to tune into. What's up? I am Naturi Norton, a.k.a. Tasha from Power. I am looking forward to the Women Doing It Big event January 14th and 15th in 2017. It's going to be amazing with my girl Tiana Von Johnson and all these awesome women who are doing it big. Let's make sure we come out for these two days and support and inspire and mentally prepare for the new year. It's going to be great, you guys, so I cannot wait. I'll see you there. Get your tickets. Register now at womendoingitbig.com. Take care. Peace. Thank you, Notori. I can't wait to see you face-to-face. 
Maybe she'll give me some tips on just what she's going to do with that ghost person she's dealing with. I don't know. But we're going to have some more messages for some of those keynote speakers at the uh, Women Doing It Big event. Now, 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 back to the keys. 107 with your host, Rafika and Brother Jay. So our very special guest tonight, Dr. Denise Lowe, is the founder of All Children Can Learn, LLC, and a component of the All Children Can Learn is aspiring is the Aspiring Leadership Institute workshop, and she has that workshop coming up. She's going to give us a little more information about that, but Denise has more than 34 years' experience as an educator, a superintendent, an elementary and high school assistant principal, English department chair, and, so, and a superintendent at the Asbury School District. So without further delay, here is the one and only Dr. Lowe. Welcome to oh, the Keys 107. Thank you so much, Sister Rafika and Brother James. Thank you for having me back again. I'm really excited to um, talk with you and your audience. We are yeah. too. Well, we have a lot to cover, and uh, I think we should just go ahead and give a little bit more, more in-depth scope of your background. Okay. Well, you know, like I said, I've been in education over 30 years, and you know, I'm pleased to say at this age, as I'm approaching Social Security age, that um, I'm still really excited about the work that I'm doing. Um, I'm a proud product of public schools. And, you know, as you all know, particularly with some of the changes that are happening in our nation and country, public school is under attack. And uh, But, you know, part of while I am semi-retired, I've kind of made it my commitment to focus in on working with the leadership in the building having worked at every level in education from, you know, teacher, assistant principal, you know, work my way up. And I did that purposely because I, I felt it was really important for me as a lead learner to know every job, but most importantly, to be able to have that kind of support. And so, you know, while my time since I started my business has been on um, working with principals, I really feel after year three in this job that that's the place that I need to be, supporting these principals in the buildings, and it's tough. It is, it's tough. It's difficult. Our family structure has changed. The kids are different. Um, the demands on the principals are tremendous. But, um, you know, from what I know, if it's going to be about instruction, it starts with the building leadership, not to negate what happens in central office, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. But where the rubber hits the road is in the classroom with the teachers and the leader that's leading that building. And they have to work in tandem in order to help our students. So over the years, what have you noticed um, in terms of changes with the, with the uh, demands of a principal? Some of the d- demands have been um, the old model of leadership was the manager. You know, that you, if, as long as your building was quiet and under control, um, you know, that's what they were looking for. I mean, traditionally... Um, gym teachers, phys ed teachers way, way back were the ones that had the trajectory to principalship and superintendency. And certainly that's changed now with many more women and women in color um, in those roles. But, however, the biggest change that I've seen is that with all these requirements that are being placed on principals, there's the balance of them wanting to focus on instruction, which should be your primary job. You should be in classrooms all day long, but balancing the demands of um, a lot of our reform initiatives and um, balancing, you know, of course, family, and, but really making sure that the focus is in on instruction. I mean, I, I, when I coach principals, sometimes I'm with them the whole day, and we actually look at how much time it's spent on instruction. And despite the best efforts of them wanting to be in classrooms, you have an angry parent. And you know, I always say you've you got to address that right away because one way or the other, um, it's going to end up, you know, not a, not a, a good thing. So, you know, but those type of demands where you have to make a choice between getting into the classroom or dealing with an angry parent um, take away some of the structures. There's also the um, requirements of central office and the demands that are being placed. Uh, currently, I'm working in a really large school city district, and the turnaround philosophy is, is in place, turnaround reform. So that means that um, demands of teachers having lots of intrusions with people coming in and walking in, and um, 
some from central office and from other areas, um, universities, colleges. So there's lots of demands. And just today, as I was speaking with one of my principals, the teachers are really overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed, and um, you know, it's like, okay, here we go, another new initiative. So what we talked about in our coaching session today was trying to find that balance because central office is expecting this, but despite them, you sharing with them that the teachers can only take so much, um, you still have to do it and you have to find that balance. So we talked about taking some of the things off of the plate of teachers so that um, they can focus more on the students. And so mm. those are some of the things that we do when we sit and kind of talk and how to balance those demands, and there are many, you know. So you mentioned taking some of the plate, things off the plate. Who makes that decision, central or state? Well, the building principle, because the state and the federal government, they're things that, are, that have to be done. So, um, but from the, the things that they're demanding of the teachers, and one of them has been, uh, particularly this particular school has coaches, and I'm a big supporter of coaching model. I've always had coaches. I had coaches when I was principal. I made sure when I was assistant superintendent, we had literacy coaches in the building. And so one of the things the coach is going to start doing with the teachers, there's a certain demand that central office in this particular school district has for the turnaround network as far as lesson plans. Um, and so these, the coaches are going to sit down and do them. But, of course, give the teachers feedback. But that's one thing off their plate. They're going to get together on a grade and design the lesson plans based on the common core standards and the unit. So that was one thing, and, and the principal called me last week, this was last week when I was in, and said, when he mentioned that at a faculty meeting, you could just see the relief on the teachers' faces. So, I mean, they're still going to teach, but the plan's being done for them. Because to do it right, the type of planning that's involved now requires a lot of time. So that's one mm-hmm. little thing that was taken out of their hands in a positive way so they can focus on some of the things that the administration is expecting, like data walls. They want student work up there. They want it checked regularly, which is, and these are all things that should be. You know, they want word walls. So, you know, it's a lot. And so when they come in, central office, these are the things they're expecting to see, and it takes a lot of time. So it's, it's things that need to be done. I'm not saying that, but the demands on the teacher um, – that's what the job of those principals should be, working with them and helping them support them so that they can do what needs to be done but yet still spend time and, and enjoy teaching, enjoy being with the kids. And that's a lot of the things that I'm seeing, that teachers love the job, but it's hard because you don't want to lose good people because of the demands of these reform efforts. <laughs> oh, ooh, demands of reform efforts. Denise, that sounds so, whoa. It, it, it's a lot, but it's very demanding. It's very demanding. Um, in this that I'm working in, the Turnaround Network, there's a huge binder that I've received that I've shared with the instructional coaches that are working with me that every teacher has, and it's seven chapters of things that must be in the classroom. Now, get me, don't get me wrong. These are things that are good. They, these are things that are good, but it's the, the level of frequency and you know, the thing is, one of the principals shared with me today that they look at every school year as a lease, a year, one-year lease, because in these turnaround networks, and this is all federally mandated, if you don't turn your school around in three years, the principal is removed. Hmm. Now, what does that mean? What does that have? We all know the research is very clear and has not changed consistently over the last 20 years. It takes three to five years to improve instruction as a building principal and then seven to ten to maintain it. So, like, you want to get off these lists, priority, focus, whatever level of low achievement is stated, but then you need to be there. If you get off the list and you move the principal, then you could be back on the list with one or two children on a test. You're starting over. To another status. So you're starting over again. Mm-hmm. And, so, and then the seven to ten to maintain it. So you make the change, you put your things in place, you raise the level of student achievement, and then you move the principal or move the central office person that's supporting the principal. So those are some of when you say the reforms that impact, they go against the research, number one, but they also don't, people aren't allowed the time to really move the building. I was, I was principal at Phillips for nine years. And, you know, really by the third and fourth year, I mean, I was good, but I still had room to grow. Year seven or eight, we were cooking and moving. But 
you know, as I said, but then you, but principals don't get that time anymore. And teachers don't mm-hmm. get that time either because there are a lot of movement um, within the building. So uh, that's something else, too, that teachers don't have the time to stay either in one building long enough to learn the culture and the support because of forced transfers. And this is in a large school city district, and, you know, they, do, they call it leveling. So in October when they look at the enrollment, you know, you start off the school year, and then you're in October, and the teachers move to another school because they have a greater need. And the movement could cause a, an environment of un, un, of discomfort alone. If if you you get used to people in in this particular position, and then you get comfortable working with them, and maybe you have developed a plan, and then everything mm-hmm. is moved around. Now you have to work around that new that new person in that position. Then you and I think that starting all over. That's where the nut to nut comes in. Yes, starting all over. So you're coming into the classroom in October, and I say October because that's usually when, and, and Mr. Sticker, you've worked in school, so you know when they say leveling, kids come, kids go, and particularly in urban districts. So, you know, you start with a class of 28, you know, at the second week of school you have 20. So this leveling is done and is needed because you want to make sure that you have, when, when, you have, when schools have larger enrollment. They need more staff, but the movement of a teacher in October when the kids have formed and gelled and bonded with um, the class or the class has to be split up because you don't have the numbers but another school does, and so now your class sizes have to be increased. So you go from three Thursday classes to two. And so that, that kind of impact, um, while, yes, it is financial and it does make sense from a budgetary point of view, it's not good for kids and it's not good for teachers. Mm-hmm. We have some callers on the line. I just want to welcome them to the Keys 107. We are dealing with the education key, focusing on leadership with Dr. Denise Lowe. Anytime you want to talk, just to let you know, you have to press the number one on your keypad. And welcome to our guests in the chat room. And our chat room is open in in our Facebook page as well. So just message us if you have something that you want to ask Dr. Lowe or weigh in. Some of you are just too shy to talk, and that's okay. Well, Rafika, I'm raising my hand. This is Brother James, and I want to say to you that <laughs> I know that the demands for teachers and administrators is just overwhelming. And when I say that, um, as I'm listening to you, Denise, you're, you're speaking from the standpoint of an instructional leader. and um, But we understand that even at that level, there is a great deal of pressure placed upon administrators, building administrators, to not only deal with the intellectual side um, and all the educational paradigms, but also to give a safe environment, um, deal with all the logistics that surrounds connecting the school to the community and uh, safety and health issues within the school itself. How do you see this playing out over the next couple of years with the strenuous instructional demand and the added safety, security uh, demands that are placed upon building administrators? Well, um, how I see this placing out, um, you know, we've all heard of No Child Left Behind. And last year, under our current administration, a bipartisan legislation was formed called ESEA, which is every, um, I forget, every student, um, I apologize, but it's a, it's a revised version of No Child Left Behind. Um, mm-hmm. Some frailties in the model that I see is we're still testing grades three through eight. And this is where I feel the educators and everybody, Congress dropped the ball because we know how much this testing thing has just been causing too much, you know, craziness across the nation. And something simple as saying, okay, okay, we've changed No Child Left Behind. The biggest um, change in this new national reform is that the states now have the control instead of the federal government. So that was a complaint that some, you know, parties had, that there was too much control from D.C. and Washington, and a lot of these reform models do have come from there. And there's part of that I do agree. So now we're putting it back in the state's hands. And that's a concern for me. It's a concern because um, states, yes, should have more local control, but at the same time, too, there's, there's something important about having national standards, common core, 
I think, you know, you know, I'm yes. a big supporter of Common Core. And so I'm concerned about what's going to happen now, and each state now chooses to do their own thing. And uh, so that's a concern. There does have to be some level of control and consistency, particularly when you're dealing with um, federal funds and initiatives. So that's one of the things. But I really felt the biggest fall was dropped is that instead of looking at testing for every year, grades three through eight, looking at maybe fourth grade, eighth grade, and 11. Give the teachers, give the kids a break. And also from a statistical point of view, all teachers now are measured with growth, how much growth the kids are doing. Okay, yes, you want to see them grow as they should from September to the end of the year, but you see much more growth when you're able to look at kids from fourth grade and then measure them again at eight. Now you have yes. a large cohort to really look and see how they've grown. So that's a big disappointment, and that's right now unless Congress changes that, that's the biggest change. We had parents opting out of testing. We had that whole testing movement, but we're still testing grades three through eight. So even though the states have control of how they decide to do curriculum, instruction, and education, we're still required to test grades through eight. So, for example, I'm a board member in a school district in New Jersey, and we're a real high-performing school district. You know, while we still have challenges, our goal is to go from good to great. So if right. 5% of the kids that aren't doing well, which is a small number, we want 100. But what we're finding is, so why do we have to test every single year? If our students are performing above the state standards, why do we still have to administer test every um, student every year? Why can't we get a break and look at um, maybe a year or two of not testing? So those are some of the things that the states won't have control over. So um, I do hope that this Congress takes a look at that testing three through eight because that will be one simple thing that can make a big change with teachers being able to not only have to test every year, you can always assess how students are doing, but when you get that data and you're looking at a cohort of kids from fourth grade to eighth grade, you're going to get a, real, a lot of real information that can be very useful in a variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you know, when we look at like the landscape of um, education in Long Island, we have so many school districts, and you have some very high-performing school districts, and you have some very low-performing school districts. Most of that is driven via economics. Um, is there something in the works that will level the playing field that all school districts are able to meet and uh, exceed the the uh, state requirements? Um, because I don't think there has been one thus far. Is there anything in the pipeline? I'm not aware of any. And, you know, over the years, um, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time in New York and Long Island. It's not just New York and Long Island. The issues um, really do boil down to race and class and gender. Because, you know, we know on Long Island, districts have been, we use that term, gerrymandered. Um, I'll give you an example. Wheatley Heights, part of Wine Dance School District. Uh, there's certain parts of Garden City that are in Hempstead as opposed to being in Garden City. And that has to do with the property taxes and the wealth. So I don't see that changing because of the fact that, you know, schools do sell homes and people move into certain areas because of the school district. Now, I'm not necessarily agreeing with you, but on Long Island, you still have a very segregated school system. And it, it, yes. runs, it runs across the geographic lines so much so that gerrymandering has taken place so that certain communities do not ever interface um, with students. So I think years ago there was an attempt to do that, and um, the communities went wild. So while I think it's better to share resources, I think diversity is extremely important. Uh, I don't see that happening, not only in Long Island, but there are places in New Jersey and other states where that rigid structure of keeping certain groups away from others doesn't exist and won't exist in that lifetime. Well, I think that duplicates in, in all states, Denise. I think if, if we had callers on from different regions, they, they, would, they would confirm exactly what you're saying. And we do mm-hmm. tonight. We do have callers from the West Coast. Uh, we have some from the mid, uh, Mid-Atlantic. We have some from the Northeast, and we have some from uh, uh, the Midwest on the line as we speak. So anytime they decide to chime in and maybe add to the conversation, we could hear what's going on in their areas as well. 
So we want to bring this back to leadership um, for another moment. And, you know, Denise, you're welcome to come on the keys anytime you want to and explore different areas of, of the education system, because I think we can do a series of shows on testing alone, because um, there's yeah. many, many, many levels of it. There's, there's some emotional levels that children go through. There's definitely emotional level that teacher goes through and, and of course the building administrators as well. Um, so, but let's bring it back to leadership. And I want to just talk a little bit about the uh, leadership Institute with your company and the upcoming event, which also okay. definitely is aligns with what we're talking about with uh, school leadership. Just to let our listeners know we're not going off tangent here. No, no, no. So the event that I'm having on January 10th is a, a second um, aspiring leadership institute. And um, with all the challenges that I've told you about and told our radio audience about, it's still important and it's so much needed to have strong leadership in the buildings. And so as I'm winding down in my career, I'd like to start encouraging teachers to come up and take on some of these positions. While it is challenging, it's really, really very, very rewarding ultimately because as the leader, you impact a lot of lives. I remember when my administrator asked me to come out of the classroom, I didn't want to go because, you know, you love the kids. But he pretty much said to me, he said, think about what you've done with your small class of, you know, I have a special ed class, self-contained class. Imagine what you could do with a school of 200, which was the school that I became teacher coordinator in. And so each time that opportunity presented itself, well, okay, now you're, you know, principal, you've got 500 students, and now you're superintendent. So you have 2,200 students you can influence. So leadership is so important and needed, and so that's what my Aspiring Institute is about, encouraging teachers, administrators who may be not looking to move up to come on and take on the challenge because if there's ever a time, there's always a time that we really need strong leadership. So that's really the focus of the Institute. And so some of the things to kind of get back to what we talked about is January 10th, it's at the Westbury Community Center, and um, we have excellent presenters. We have Dr. Lorna Lewis, who's the superintendent of Smithfield Old Plainview School District, and uh, Dr. Lewis is the consummate superintendent. She is currently the president of the BOCI superintendents. The superintendents elect their own officers, and she's also um, second, in, second in command for New York State. NISCUS, which is the New York State Council of School Superintendents. So mm-hmm. Dr. Lewis is just awesome and um, so pleased to have her as part of our um, panel. The second presenter is um, Mr. Yudis Budai. He's the Assistant Superintendent in Westbury School District, and he's a mover and shaker. Um, he is someone who is on the watch, you know, once again, committed to urban schooling, um, is really moving Westbury in a very positive direction, all about the kids, and all these leaders are all about the kids because you have to be um, when you're in these roles. And then the third um, presenter or panelist is Adam Frankel. He's a principal that I worked with and hired when I was in Central Islip, and we pretty much um, moved on and up at the same time. But he's strong in curriculum and as a building leader has taken on um, many challenges and has been very successful in increasing and improving, improving student achievement. So we think this panel is going to talk about the why we need to change, um, the impact that administrators have on students' lives, uh, your leadership path and how to get to it, and offer some opportunities for you to map out your future for the next um, five to six years. Where do you want to be? So that's overall the focus. Um, Lunch is provided, and um, we're having it at the Westbury Community Center because they've done a renovation and a growth, and we want to, um, it all goes back to the community. So that's the setting for the second workshop. My first workshop was in Martha's Vineyard, and we will be continuing that again next summer. But um, I wanted to bring it to Long Island and then eventually to New Jersey. So people who are attending this workshop, are these uh, teachers who are aspiring to be building administrators, or are these building administrators who want to improve their leadership skills? It's both. It's both. It's, it's teachers who we want to, you know, we'd like to say, come on in. And they're building administrators who'd like to say, you know what, I could, I could use a little bit more support or I'm also looking to move on to central office. So, and central office um, or, and, or to the superintendency. So it's, it's, it's about um, where you are, building that capacity, 
and some awareness of what it takes and the kind of support that's needed to go to that next level. So, Denise, what do you think is is the uh, barrier from, from for teachers who I think would make good uh, building uh, administrators because they have experience in the classroom and they have some ideas? What do you think stops them from wanting to become a building administrator? I think a lot of the requirements that they see, um, administrators work long hours, and not that teachers don't. They don't. But, um, you know, this morning in, in the district I'm working in, the principal, was he was tired. You could just see, his, you know, he was yawning. He was apologizing. And I said, what's your typical day like? He said, I leave here at 8 o'clock and I'm up at 3 in the morning. He said, so, you know, that's one of the reasons at this point in time. I'm like, it's a little low. So I think that's one of the things that um, discourage teachers because, and it is 24-7. To do it right, you do have to be available. You have to attend the evening meetings. The superintendent, I felt, was extremely important as an assistant superintendent as well. You want to be there for all, everything, the music concerts. You want to support the principals. You want to support the parents. You want to be out there. So I think they look at the overall demands, of which it is, but I feel teaching is as demanding as well when you want to do it right. So I think those, and also money, money's a factor too. Uh, there are some teachers that say, look, I have my summers off. Um, I don't, you know, I can pick up extra jobs or not. I can not work all summer and still get money. So that's another piece as well that I think are some of the obstacles and particularly the things that we talked about earlier, those additional demands on uh, building leadership and central office leadership. Well, we have a caller that has a comment or a question. Caller, your mic is live. Check in. Hi, greetings. My, I am Nubian from Nubian News with the Z. I'm calling from Chicago. How are you? Good. Fine. Good. Hi. Hi. Um, I actually am not familiar too much with the public school system, but I come from another end of learning with my children, and that is homeschooling. Um, I have homeschooled my daughter since the age of, you know, since they were born. Uh, since the age of two weeks old, she's had her own uh, business. She's been on television shows. She's also, um, you know, made her own clothing line, things of that nature. From the platform where my family teaches our children is that uh, leadership starts in the home, and, and, and we can send our children to the schools all day, but the first mother is always going, the first teacher will always be the mother. That's why you see the child cry when they when you drop them off at preschool or kindergarten because the first teacher is always the mother. And when we do, um, let's say, community events, even here throughout Chicago, our whole entire family is with us. So we not only bring example of the homeschooling to the platform, but example of how it was back in the day when our great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers, they all stayed together because the Fords weren't able to go work for the Johnsons and the Johnsons weren't able to go work for the, for the Ingrams, for example. So... Even when we try to put my daughter in a regular public school, my daughters were bullied because we learned that the children get bullied at home, and then they bring that to school with them, and then it's not a platform for learning no longer. And then what we've learned throughout this journey is that no matter what we do at the end of the day, that the mother and whatever is learned in that household will always, like we will tell our children, you know, do, don't do what you see me do, do as I say, but a child will always do what they see you do. So basically with my children, um, let's say I have a 6-year-old and a 14-year-old, and my children have their own business. They work with our family business as well as they run their own business, and we not only show them parent uh, management skills but principal skills and ethics skills. And even when they interact with other children, it's, very, it's a different dynamic because you don't see that too much nowadays. But I also want to remind us that, yes, it's great for us to build outside in the different school systems, but the times are changing so much to where the children don't even see themselves inside the public school system. So automatically they are labeled with the different, you know, ADHD or ADD symbols because of who they think they're not because they look on the board and they don't see any pictures of themselves anywhere around so that they're, they're, not, they're not interested. And then when they get home, they want to spend time with mom and dad but they can't because mom and dad is giving them a $600 cell phone or $300 tennis shoes versus taking a walk with them along the park and having a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with them, which a child will appreciate more. Because we have to remember that a child is a direct, a direct descendant of us. And no matter what we tell our child not to do, our children are always going to do what they see us do, not what we tell them to do. So I just want to bring a different dynamic to the table 
And then just remind us that, you know, learning starts in the home. No matter where we want to send our children off to, it's still going to come back from what they learned at home. And that's maybe something, even though a whole lot of parents, from what I understand, all across the, um, from Los Angeles to Florida to Chicago to Atlanta, everyone's um, even looking more into homeschooling. And when you are able to homeschool, then you're not only able to homeschool, but you're able to teach children about themselves and then learn about that child because children come here with different talents and abilities too. So it's not that so much child sit down, be quiet, go somewhere anymore. It's what are you saying and what can you bring to the table to help us, you know, to be a great family, to help us build community and build relationships with, with each other because it's a whole different day now. Nubian, thank you so very much for your contributions. But I would say to you that it is wonderful that you bring that perspective, but we actually know that the majority of our children are attending the uh, the current public school system. And so parents have to be sort of re-educated how to assist, nurture, and support what's going on in the schools. Um, it has to be a partnership. And so, Dr. Lowe, maybe we need to hear from you. How do you deal with the parents or encourage teachers and administrators to deal with parents to get them involved with the educational process of their children. Yes, and, and Nubia, I do applaud, um, you know, you for that opportunity. I mean, homeschooling is, you know, it's, it's important and, um, and it's a gift. But, you know, as I said, my work in public schools over the 35 years, many parents have changed instructors. I'm going to tell you myself, I was a mommy administrator. I've been a mommy administrator for almost 28 years. And um, which that meant that, you know, while I had a husband that stayed home and helped me um, work, I, I had to work all the time. So I, I was a, unfortunately, I had to miss my son's going, getting his first little bus stop. I remember my assistant superintendent, I called her and I said, can I see my son just get that put on the bus so I can take the picture? She said, take the picture, have your husband do it, because you got to be there greeting your own kindergartners. So there are choices that people have to make. But what I do see in the schools, that's one of the strands in the turnaround networks and all networks, parent and community engagement. And I can say the family structure has changed. I, you know, I actually, in, when I grew up, I went home for lunch. My mother was working, but I went to a neighbor's house, and we actually had lunch. It was a group of us that walked. Those times have changed quite a bit. So part of the, the challenges that principals have are really engaging the parents. A lot of it is cultural. You have parents who culturally put their trust in the schools. They're working 24-7. We have to look at various ways to connect. I see lots of time and effort being placed on administrators, which they should, to bring parents in, family night, literacy night. Um, many time, oftentimes they're not well attended because of a variety of different things. Parents are working. They're working at night. Babysitting is a factor. So some of the things we've seen help with to be provide babysitting, provide food, um, uh, there's a program called FAST, Families and Students Together, where while the parents were in workshops, parent workshops, the kids were being taken care of. Younger children had babysitting. Older children was going through tutoring. Um, you'd have to look at Saturdays, you know, Saturday programs that a parent may not be able to get there during the week, but what can we do on Saturday? And also using the Internet and distance learning, you know, to assist. Um, oftentimes in, in our schools, because, you know, like I say, a lot of it is cultural, bring the parents in for ESL classes. There's a language barrier that exists, whether it's Spanish, Bengali, or the various languages that are present in the schools. And that also impacts, not that the parents don't care. I've never not parent, met a parent that does not care. They may not have the war with all. They may not have, um, they may be going through a substance issue. They may be incarcerated. We have grandmothers raising children because of a whole host of reasons. So that family structure, and it's, it's just across the nation and as a school board member in a highly affluent district, too, we've got the divorce rate high. We've got parents of beautiful homes that now have to downsize because the divorce has taken place or the families have to move. So the family structure has changed, and for a whole host of reasons, the economy. But we still know that it is important to bring the parents in. The research is still very clear. But we do have to think about different ways to do that. And those are some of the things that the administrators do. They do parent surveys. They ask the parents, what are some of the things that you need? And you'd be surprised that sometimes it's basic needs. You know, I need someone to help me with um, getting my credit score out up so that I can get a house. Or So the surveys are done every year, and the administration looks at it and try to structure some of their parental involvement around that. 
uh, PTOs, which, you know, are thriving, and many of the schools I work with are non-existent. You know, it's parent-teacher organization. You have the teachers. But they sit down and trying to find ways to bring the parents in. I found, too, when the child is very happy and successful in school, you have more parental involvement. As principal at Phillips, we did movie nights. We had the families, just something simple, bring them in, do a movie, we did family dances. And so, you know, you've got to think of different ways. We did talent shows. We involved the kids. So when kids are happy and they're doing things very, they're happy in school, they want their parents to come in and see them. So those are some things that we found over the years to help get those parents in. But it is still really a challenge and a struggle. Not that they don't care, but because of sometimes it's basic needs. I have to work or I have to care for a parent or, you know, whole, there are a variety of different reasons, but not that they don't care. They're just not able to get in. And, and I understand that, and I thank you for that because I look at sometimes parents who are incapable of providing what a Nubian and her family uh, is doing. And like like you said, I applaud her as well because, yes, uh, we should all be able to do um, to educate our children in that way. But uh, the case is that most of us can't. It's resources, it's time, it's having the ability, uh, the capabilities to be able to do such in, in a manner in which our children could flourish. So uh, thank, you, thank you again, Nubia, for your contribution. Well, we're going to go to a quick break. Uh, when we come back, uh, Denise is going to begin to discuss some of her, her principles of what makes a good leader. The Keys 107. We'll be right back. Fluff Presents the Alphabet is available on Amazon.com and on Kindle. So get your copy today. For more information, visit them online, www.thefluffffamily.com. I'm Dr. Jamal Bryant, and I cannot wait for January 14th and 15th. Women are doing it big, so you know a man's got to come to be nosy. Please come and join us. With my sister Tiana Von Johnson. We're going to be there and I want you to be there. I don't care where you are. Don't think small. Come on, women. Do it big. January 14th and 15th. Don't meet me there. Beat me there. And we're trying to hold on to those last um, discount tickets here at the Keys 107. Uh, and we, you can get them at the Keys 107 store on our Facebook page. And for those of you that uh, just want to contact me directly, contact me at suggestions at the Keys 107 network.com. Now, 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 back to the Keys 107 with your host, Rafika and Brother Jay. Well, Dr. Lowe, let's go right into talking about those qualities that make a good leader or make uh, that are important to leadership. Okay. So um, I'm going to frame this as the difference between the boss, meaning the term from years ago, and the leader, and the differences between the two. Um, in the boss model, the boss demands, whereas the leader coaches. And, you know, as I said, that's some of the work that I do with my business, coaching principals, to coach teachers, to coach parents. I mean, mm-hmm. to coach um, your student teachers or anybody that interfaces you. Instead of demanding, this is what I want done, I'm going to work with you, I'm going to talk with you, I'm going to coach you, I'm going to have those conversations. So um, another uh, difference between the boss and the leader, a boss relies on authority, whereas a leader relies on goodwill. And that's that relationship building, you know. And, Rafika, you know, you've worked with me. And, and I don't brag, but I, I have to say, every place that I've worked, people still remember me. They still remember how I listened. They still mm-hmm. remember you being kind. You know, so, so many things with people in their personal lives that, you know, you just touch. And that's, you know, that's the gift that God has given us to be able to make that impact. So it's goodwill. So people are going to do for you because they know that you care they know that you've either helped them and vice versa. I mean, it's just as much as I've given, they've given me as much. So a leader relies on the goodwill of people to do what's right, but that's because you have to build a relationship with them. 
Another difference between the boss and the leader is that a boss issues ultimatums, whereas a leader generates enthusiasm. Look at this great book that I read. Let's sit down and talk about it. Let's do a book study. You know, that's as opposed to, I want you to read this book. Central office is demanding that we do a book study. That's one of the leadership <laughs> strategies. A total different way. You want to see yeah, and, and I bought you a copy. Here's your copy. And yes. <laughs> <Here's your laughs> you on the desk. <laughs> so a leader generates that enthusiasm. A boss says I, but a leader says we. And mm. and you know, Sister uh, the Seeker, it is not me. It is not the leader. It is is the culmination I call collaborative leader leadership. You cannot do anything in a vacuum. You can't do anything alone. And so it's the we. It's the team. We do this together. It's not about me. It's about you and it's about us collectively. So that's the difference between a boss and a leader. Another difference is that a boss uses people where a leader developed back to that coaching. You know, when I look at some of my, um, in one of my districts, we have permanent subs, and they were there to cover classes. But many of them end up becoming master teachers because, you know, you cultivated them. You see somebody who's a keeper. So, you know, you don't use them, you develop them, and you develop them and give them the support that they need. A boss takes credit, and this is a big one, but a leader gives credit. My standard line, and it's not my standard line because I say it, thank you for the work that you do on behalf of our students every day. When I left the school this afternoon and the principal was walking over to central office because he needs to, you know, he's got subs in two of his content classes, and we had talked about, you know what, sometimes you just got to go in there and just get in your face. I'm a priority school. You want me to turn around, but I can't do it with a substitute. A substitute who I have to keep rotating every 30 days. They got to go out one day and come back in. So, but, you know, when he left, I told him, I said, thank you, really, thank you on behalf of your work for the students because nobody sees it, but I do. So a leader gives credit, and the credit is we really appreciate it. We know that extra mile you goes, and it doesn't take much, but those words like in the classroom, the power of praise, we praise kids, even when they're acting up, we praise them. Another thing that's the difference between a boss and a leader, that a boss places the blame, whereas a leader accepts the blame. I remember as assistant superintendent, my superintendent would tell me all the things that I, you know, had to improve instruction. My job is to give it to you. My other job is to make sure that you don't have to deal with the board or deal with it. So you take, he accepts the blame if things go wrong, and it, it might be me that did it, but he's not placing that blame on me. He or she is saying, it's my mistake, I'll address it. And that's a big difference too, that you know, you're not placing the blame or throwing someone under the bus, but if that's collective we, then yes, thank you. It was my mistake. I'll take care of it. It won't happen again. Instead of blaming the assistant superintendent or blaming this one. Another difference between a boss and a leader is that the boss says go, and a leader says let's do it. And it just goes back to that different philosophy. Let's do it together. This is what we need to do. Um, and the last difference I see, and I did more than seven, but, you know, I gave this last thought. The difference between <laughs> a boss and a leader is my way is the only way. And I think mm. we can all speak to people that we work under that has that philosophy. But the best strength in a leader is strength and unity, that it's the collective we that makes me powerful. So much of the, the accomplishments that not only me, the leaders that I've worked with over the years that have had impacting students and impacting staff's lives has been because it's, we look at collectively that we're as greater, we're, the greatest part is us all working together, not just me. You know, if I always say, as superintendent, if I'm the brightest light in this room, there's a problem. I want my brain trust around me. I want my thought partners because collectively we can do the things that we want to do together. So those are the differences that I see between a boss and a leader. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. I picked. I did some note-taking here, and um, there are several things that I, I will definitely make sure I incorporate in my leadership style, and that is to – uh, you know, uh, to give credit instead of take credit, the praise, you know, give praise instead of accepting praise, to accept the blame, um, you know, is something that we need to do uh, to take the stress off those who are making things happen. Because like you said, we can't make it happen by ourselves. 
we only can make it happen with one another. So this is beautiful teaching, and uh, hoping that those of you who are listening are taking notes and take this home and um, actually put it to work. Put it to work. So Denise, how how and when does a person define or identify their leadership style? Well. Um, I'm going back to my workshop, but there are several leadership style inventories, and one that we'll, our participants will take part of will develop their own type of leadership. And from those various, and there's several, there's Myers-Briggs, but um, I think it's always important, even as in the teaching realm, and, and it's something that can be done with students in the classroom, because to develop their leadership style, it gets them to see where they are, but it also gets them to understand that other person. So now one of the activities we're going to do is called North, South, East, and West. And so it's an individual survey that determines your leadership style or direction. But then if I'm a North person and I hire a South person, that's actually a good thing because we'll balance off each other. Or if there's an East person, you get a greater understanding of where they're coming from so that you will work better together. So um, really determining your style of leadership I think is important. Um, and knowing where you are, and it'll also help you um, cultivate leadership in others and be that coach, you know, that, we, that I talked about earlier. If you walk into an environment as a leader and you haven't identified your leadership style, how effective can you be? Hmm. That's, that's a very interesting question. Um, it's like you need to know who you are in order to grow, but at the same time, too, hmm, that's really a tough question, Mr. Um, hmm. I would tend to think that if they're, let's say, a teacher or an administrator, somewhere down the line someone has talked about leadership style and approaches. I mean, even in the classroom, certain teachers have different approaches that work and some that don't work. Um, so I, I think that um, going back to the building leadership or even a, a, a colleague um, should be able to work with you in identify, identifying your strengths, your leadership strengths. But that is a very mm-hmm. good question. Um, I would tend to think that intrinsically people want to know that, um, but maybe I'm just naive. I mean, I, I made it a point as a classroom teacher at, because of students to identify their strengths and their leadership. It's like a learning style inventory. We want to know mm-hmm. how kids learn best, but we also want to know what things they like and what are interest, what's interesting to them. So we may have future leaders in the making that are interested in different things unless we find out about it. But right. um, my hopes would be that somewhere down the line, if you want to pick on a, a classroom leadership position or any type of position, that you would take some time to learn your leadership style. But there's several out there. I just mentioned the one. Um, but there's several different ways to identify that leadership style. Uh, Dr. Lowe, do you believe that the Aspiring Leadership Institute could actually tailor workshops in the future geared towards teachers and administrators uh, learning and, and identifying their leadership styles? Oh, yes. Yes, and that's the thing. That's an activity that we do. There is actually mm-hmm. one portion of the workshop that is called Finding Your Leadership Style. And that's kind of how we end, because you end with that direction of this is who I am and finding the right fit in what you want to do and where you want to go. So that is something that we do as far as that's one segment of the um, activity. Okay. I think even for teachers, I remember one time I did a training in Long Island, and part of the training was teachers had to create a um, – I can't remember what we call them now, WebQuest. And the first part of the WebQuest was they had to identify their pedagogy. So this was a a college that had a a teacher degree program. And I think maybe two of the teachers in in that class that I was, of that group of teachers that I was training, did not have an outline, an idea, a perception of what their pedagogy was. Hmm. And I was very shocked because I thought that that ah. was a given, but it's, it wasn't a given in that in that in that environment. Yeah, that is surprising. I mean, this should be happening in teacher education. 
you know, as teachers that, that in your college programs, that should be a big component of who you are um, as a classroom teacher because that will be significant in how you structure your classroom and how you lead your students. Yes, so we're we're getting ready to wrap up, and we have one more announcement about the upcoming Women Doing It Big. So, Denise, before you give out your contact information, I'm going to ask everybody that's on the call to stay there for a quick moment, those of you who are tuning in online and are just a little bit shy. That's okay. We welcome you as well. The Keys 107 will be right back. Hey, what's up? It's your girl, Little Mo, and I can hardly wait. We kicking off 2017 all the way live. Women doing it big. Yes, January 14th, it all goes down. So get your tickets now. Lock in. WomenDoingItBig.com. Guess who's going to be there besides me? Yes, Tiana Von Johnson doesn't play no games when it comes to giving you the power. You want to do it big and you want to see her do it big? Yes, Notori Norton's going to be there. Tasha from Power. You want to ask her some secret questions behind the scenes? Hey, you want to get all up in her business? Well, come do it big. And if you think doing it big can't get any bigger, then I'm going to sing, yes! Yeah, no, I ain't going to hit that note right there. But I was just trying to let you know how you going to be screaming. in the audience, yeah, we already done went viral. We done broke the internet. So all those songs that broke the internet, I'm coming to sing up for you. Get your tickets now because January 14th is going all the way down. New York City. Matter of fact, I want you to fly in for this. WomanDoingItBig.com. Now, 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 back to the Keys, 107 with your host, Rafika and Brother So, Denise, um, thank you so very much for spending this hour with us and our listeners here on the Keys 107 Network. And just to let everybody know that all of our shows are archived on iTunes at the Keys 107. You could listen to the playback in the blog talk uh, at blogtalkradio.com. And you could hit us up on Facebook. I'm trying to figure out what that noise is. <laughs> I figured it out. So Denise, can you give out can you give out your contact information for everybody that wants to run to your workshop and find out what their leadership style is? Okay, yes. Um, like I said, the workshop is January tenth, twenty seventeen from nine to three at the Yes We Can Community Center. Um, 141 Garden Street, Westbury, New York. And you can um, reach me on my website, allchildrencanlearnllc.com, and my contact information is there as well. Everything is right there. In addition to, you can reach me out on Facebook, on my Denise Lowe page, or my Dr. Denise Lowe page, where this information will be posted as well. And if somebody was on the line or listening via the internet and they wanted to bring you into their school district do you travel out of state yes I do there you go so this is the Keys 107 I'm Rafika and my co-host brother James are you still yes. here brother James <laughs> I am absolutely here thank you good good well, well you've been listening to the Keys 107 Network where we pursue love, peace, and happiness. And we ask everyone who has listened to the show today to let somebody else know, especially those who have children in school who are educators, pass the word. Let them hear what uh, Dr. Lowe had to say about leadership in schools. And um, do support her. If you're in the area, come by and support her. And we have tickets available for the women doing it big, and we got a few left, so hit us up on Facebook. And if you like what you're listening today, like our Facebook page and send us a message at suggestions at thekeys107network.com. Good night. Thank you both. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Opening the doors to endless possibilities in the pursuit of love, love, love.
peace and happiness with your host, Rafika and Brother James.